What's up, everyone? This is Philly Pat back on another episode of the Philly Pat Project. I am joined by Josh. What's going on, family? And uh, we are excited. Uh, first of all, happy Father's Day to everyone. Um, all you dads out there, you know, um, hope you're having a good Father's Day. Um, I hope you're, you know, enjoying yourselves. And uh, always to our fans and to our listeners, we appreciate you guys. You are making this possible. Um, a lot of new listeners, a lot of new plays and, and views of everything. So I personally appreciate it. And we here at the Philly Pat Project appreciate it as well. To the future listeners, um, you guys are going to be awesome. Uh, and we look forward to having you guys join the community here that we've built here on the podcast. Um, but tonight, we're doing something really, really cool. Uh, We are ending the first season with a bang, and we are doing a two-parter. We are going to direct you guys uh, with a direction of directors to follow. Um, And we are going to emphasize naturally on horror, but we are going to just give um, some recommendations and like our views on just directors that we personally enjoy uh just as just being film lovers and just loving you know film and everything that goes into it um but we will be specializing uh in horror and and, and having a good emphasis on that so um with that being said um we're going to kick start this um and the first director uh probably because it's background uh, viewing for us right now. I'm gonna kick it off with Wes Craven. And why, um, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you not? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Considering what Scream means to us. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, you know, rest in peace to the legend. Um, Wes Craven was, and is probably, in my opinion, the most influential horror director of you know the last four or five decades. Definitely, um, definitely the nineties. Yeah. Like, without um, question, definitely the well, 90s, 80s, into the 2000s. 80s, 90s. Um, but, I mean, w- what I loved about Wes Craven, personally, um, obviously he spawned the franchise that is that is my personal favorite franchise in horror, which is Scream. Um, you know, um, but also he's put his name in, you know, you have Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the original, uh, everything that jump-started that franchise was thanks to him. Uh, he did the original um, Last House on the Left. Um, Which is, I like it. Yeah. But it's really like, like the tone is like pretty brutal. Absolutely. And honestly, I prefer the remake over the original, hot take. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, That's okay. I that's still okay. think that he laid groundwork for like something very like ex- exploitive that like hadn't been done before. Absolutely. You know, like he really went to some lengths that like hadn't really been seen in well, Hollywood then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. House well, what I think is super fucking cool about Wes Craven is influence in movies and horror is like he, you know, the eighties, you know, was one of the golden eras of fucking horror, right? Hills have eyes. Um, Hills have eyes. Yeah. yeah. And so, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. Right, so he he spawned a generational horror fucking error, and then when he found that it was kind of dying out, you know what I mean, and 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 it, he wanted to make something fresh, 
he came out with Scream. He literally revived. The like genre. he literally revived the genre that he, in my opinion, was if not, he's definitely one of the founders. Horror, of horror. was fizzling out, ladies. Yeah, I mean it. it you know, into the nineties, like there's when you think about like the, how many prolific, amazing horror films came out in the seventies and eighties, and mm-hmm. then you think about what came out in the nineties, it's drastically it's different. Drastically <laughs> different. But what was cool, and what I really, really like. I really enjoy these types of movies. Um, and, it, of course, for me, started with Scream is, like, he blended dark comedy and horror in a way that was done perfectly. Because when I think of just the original Scream, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? The What started it all, you know, um, was a perfect movie. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I can't find one flaw in it. Everything from the actors and actresses that, that, that he cast and was able to get for the movie, but also just the way him and Kevin Williamson worked so well together. Yeah. And for me, you know, you know what's important to me, right? Like, I love movies that are character-driven. Yes. Like, I need lovable and likable characters. Um, and Scream is cool in that sense that even the fucking villains are likable. You know what I mean? When you do they find really out, they always are. Every right. every screen, they right. But like, like, but like, ah, eh, you know, hot take. Roman wasn't my personal favorite character in or out of the mask. Okay, but okay, but you I can, know, I could see that. Right, but but point. and I wasn't a big fan of Mrs. Loomis, but I loved her performance. But I and I liked. But as I a character, I'm flip. like, yeah. yeah. But as her performance is Ghostface, yeah. but but I mean Billy and Stu, like Billy was an asshole, but Stu was so fucking likable, right? And then of course, like as it spawned on, you know what I mean? Um, Jill, I thought was unhinged, and she was a likable, presentable, possible final girl. Like, and then you fucking hated her by the end, right? Like, you, you loved her for three right, fourths of the movie, right? And then right. It turns it. It's but awesome. yeah, Kirby had you know um, Tatum. You had all these yeah. likable characters. Randy, you know what I mean? Dewey, Dewey was the fucking Dewey. heart of the Jesus. franchise. So. But Wes Craven was able to do that because, you know, I, I watched some interviews and stuff and what was really cool about what he was able to do with his cast is like he found, you know, ways to like speak to them, relate to them, get those performances out of them, make them feel like they were a part of a family. You know what I mean? Make them feel like, you know, like they're doing something, you know what I mean, that they could be passionate about and no one knew that it was going to be what it is. Today. And from what I've heard, like... There's a lot of camaraderie and mm-hmm. like brotherhood on sets Absolutely. that Wes Craven directs. Absolutely. You know, um, like it's a very well run tight ship. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that's like really, really cool. But what I really, you know what I mean, like for his films, you know, um, I was, I also would say that I'm, I'm more of a fan of the remake of The Last House on the Left as well. You know what I mean? But I have watched the original and give it its appreciation. And you can see some of the dark mm-hmm. comedy roots that he brought to Scream right. in the original Last House of, of the course, Left. And then, but it didn't hit right. Right. And know? then you had uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which at least the first one was just much more horror-driven. Yes. Um, there was some humor, but not, not in the way that um, the other sequels, you know what I mean, in the franchise did. Like That first one was very much driven on the horror and the tension um, but you know what I what I really like uh, liked about him and why I recommend his movies so much is because you know outside of like what you said the tight ship and like how you could see the actors and actresses are very invested in his project. What I really enjoy as well is just the the fact that like 
you know, between him, especially with Scream, like Kevin Williamson, like the way they write the movies together, like the way they write out the characters, the way that, um, you know, he, he brings more to the character. But also, I really enjoy, like, the cinematography and everyone that has worked with Wes Craven on his movies, like, giving props to them. Can't name them all, you know what I mean? But, like... Because it's been different cinematography. Th- yeah. It's not like the same one every movie. But he also, like, you know, he has a big part in being the director of, like, casting a particular scene the way it's done or, you know... um the different shots, you know what I mean? Like his movies have like a really, really, you know, tight, wide, tight, wide angle, tight, you know, um, wide scape shot, tight, long view shots. Um, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, you know what I mean? Just the way that like the boiler room's done, like the way that like it draws up on Freddy, like all the different things that like he brings and the way he saw film as a director, you know what I mean? Is what really, really like sold me on Wes Craven outside of those other elements. Like that's what I look for. You know what I mean? When I'm watching a movie is like, you know, how is it being filmed? How are we capturing the emotion? And I do believe that like when you watch a lot of his movies, you're going to see that. So that's something that I thought would jump kick. You know what I mean? You know, this, this, uh, this little spooky edition you know, to to the podcast. That's a wonderful start. I mean, um, but you know what I mean. Toss it over to you, right? Like, what's what's someone who, who really, you're keen on? Uh, I would say, with a lot of like, horror elements to what he's done, uh, David Lynch. Okay. His shit yeah. is bonkers. Yeah. But yeah. it's horrific as shit. And it's so dark and depressing. Pretty much the whole way through of most of his films. Okay. And not no one does film like him. Nobody. Like it's just so, so what's, it's what, so obscure, what's but a, it's not it's not so avant garde that it's experimental. So what's like a David Lynch masterpiece? So Twin like, Peaks. The show. Uh-huh. I would say like the show that came out in the nineties. Mm-hmm. The original The stuff. original Twin mm-hmm. Peaks. That's like his masterpiece. I would agree. But then next to that, uh, I would say Blue Velvet, Eraserhead, and Mulholland Drive. I am a huge fan of Eraserhead. I love the Eraserhead was the first movie I saw by David Lynch I when I was black. in school. No one, no one really shoots black and white like that. You know what I mean? Eraserhead, no. No, no, no one's shooting it like that. And there are movies that have brought that element back from like those 50 errors and stuff like that. And you know what I mean? That is a movie that's horrific. It's in the contrast of the black and white. Like I've seen other movies be a softer and the contrast is so detailed in mm-hmm. that film. Like the yeah. shadows, the lights, like everything is so meticulous. I mean, I think that's like why you go to films, right? It's like, I want to be visually blown away as much as like captivated by the story. But also in the same respect to Wes Craven, I think David Lynch, again, like the way he writes out these characters and the way he's like, how he's getting you through the story is like, there's a lot of twists and turns, but like nothing so, now don't get me wrong, Eraserhead is really out there, but even with how out there that movie gets or like with Twin Peaks, how bonkers that shit gets this is all stuff that makes sense 
like it's not so thrown off mm-hmm. that you're like this don't really sit right with the direction of the story like right this is put so well together and then i mean there's definitely a lot of like what the fuck moments when you're watching a david lynch film or show for that matter but it's still done in a way that i feel like you take away what you're supposed to take away from it because he purposely leaves all of his films up to interpretation yeah so you can look at it like many different ways you can which is really cool because everybody can have their own opinion on it and no one's wrong and no one's right yeah yeah i would say that that's like a a a pretty fair assessment of like david lynch i think he also too is like a legend you know what i mean when i think of like horror or just like storytelling um and people who know how to capture film like i'd probably round out my top 10 with david lynch yeah in fairness i mean some you know what i mean just the way he puts together a story and how it ends on such a unknown note where like nothing comes together nicely nothing you don't get a movie that's packaged in a bow you don't ever get that with lynch but also here's where the respect to david lynch goes in comparison to other filmmakers you have movies out there that like don't wrap up in a nice neat bow and you're kind of angry because it needed to be sometimes yeah his movies his shows like the stuff that he's worked on you don't need it to wrap up in a bow and you completely understand what he wanted you to feel and what he wanted to do. And it's more about the feeling, I think, than it is the narrative. I think it's for like Lynch the reverse. Sometimes. Like honestly, I think it's the reverse because the next director I'm go- about to mention is like, a, you know, like the, like the term now is like more elevated and like gets you thinking more about the movie. I think he did the reverse in that, like, you thought a lot after the movie, and like you were able to be like, well, where could have that gone? Where is that mm-hmm. going? And it keeps you thinking in that way. Rather than it be like the next director I'm about to mention where like his movies throughout the movie have you thinking. Mm-hmm. Like his movies, like they, they're going somewhere and then the way they end is like very ambitious and everything to where you have to think a little bit more after. And not many directors do it that way. No. Or should I say pull it off the way that he does. And that's why I love David Lynch is because he, he's just so good at crafting these insane narratives that like no one else in the world could come up with that's true you know that's <laughs> it's true like bro like you're just like constantly tripping or something like how did you <laughs> how did yeah. you come up with this shit like yeah. over and over and over and over like well in speaking of like the state of horror as well as we incorporate that into the into the next two episodes we talked about this um, a little bit on, on some other episodes. We are in, without a fucking doubt, one of the most outlandish and insane fucking golden eras of horror that we've ever been in, in my opinion. Currently, right now. Currently, yes. right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that I what, what jump-started it is this director, Ari Esther. Yes, it was. That, that, that without a doubt, yeah. outside of... And I love the Baba Duke, and I haven't seen too much of of Jennifer Kent's stuff after that. Like the Baba Duke's all I really know of her. Yeah, so I you need to check out the Nightingale. Okay, so like wrong. so there's some stuff that I'm still catching up on, um, because that's a movie that came out a little before that that kind of like really brought these ideas. So I will give a nod 
to her. Yes, but I would, I would because the Babadook is too. is yes. probably one of my favorite movies, um, especially in the psychological aspects and like more 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 psychological character driven elements. But Ari Aster blew the fucking scene away. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Hereditary, his first feature film, um, first time I watched it, I wasn't sure. It wasn't until I saw The Kill List, which is another great horror movie, um, you know, great cinematography, that made me go back and appreciate why that those last couple frames were put into Hereditary. And what I'm really fascinated about, and we talked about this because we just saw his recent uh, Bo is Afraid, uh, which was a mind fuck of a fucking movie yeah, that I'm still trying to like... I have to see it multiple times. Yeah, like I'm it. still processing yeah, that, but it was absolute masterpiece crazy, uh, yeah. of of uh, storytelling. But um, he has this ability, right, um, to not only capture horror and dread, but his stories and what he writes out, you know what I mean, as the writer, the director is like... There's so much family element. It's domestic, the it's domestic piece. The, yeah, like, and I we just uh, rewatched. I was rewatching it um, the other night, Midsummer. That is probably his hereditary Midsummer, like but, some of my favorite horror movies. But so. Midsummer, to me, like I'll comment on that in a second. Uh, but um, you know, when it, when it comes to Hereditary, right? Like you have some of the most horrific horror scenes ever captured. Like that piano wire fucking cutting your own head off. She's just floating above. Floating above. And all you hear is... And like that right there to me, like, because look, Ari Esther has this thing where like he will write out shit and like he said, this is a movie about like family grief and trauma that I've experienced, right? Midsummer was his breakup movie. You know what I mean? Bo was afraid is how he, whether it was personal or not, wanted to tell a story about about, his relationship with his mom, mom, right? So, you know, like... (laughs) So these are horrific fucking elements that are realistic. Like this close, shit. Close, hard-hitting stuff. Close, hard-hitting stuff. But there's something that I don't know if people see it the way I did or why it really freaks me out, right? Um, but you have a great performance. Again, the casting, the people he gets for his movies, fucking great. You get uh, Tony Colletti, right, who's already an icon in, in film, right? Like she's a wonderful actress, um, and she's no stranger to horror, you know what I mean? Um, and she's cutting her fucking head off. Now, two things are happening in this scene for me. You have her cutting her head off and the trauma of him watching his mother commit suicide in front of him. Mm-hmm. Right? But also the psychological impact that just hits that fucking peak of the entire trauma, conflict, and... And pain that she was causing him the whole fucking movie. You know what I mean? Like, he made a horrific mistake in his sister's death. But it really wasn't his fault. Right? And he couldn't grieve or feel a thing. He no, was just so isolated because of the emotional abuse well, like that she was getting. He detached. From the whole thing. But you could see even before that that he was detached from a relationship with his mother. Well, he just wasn't, yeah. Like, he was not really, like, so, he was a part of the family physically? Physically. But, but emotionally like, he gone. wasn't there. No. Yeah. So, and obviously the story plays out like he needed to be isolated, he needed to be broken, vulnerable. So that the. That's, the, why, that's why he gets possessed. <laughs> right. Like, so that the possession can, 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 you know, happen or whatever. But it's the way it's shot, right? Like, you have that opening scene of, like, her, 
you know, she was making all the different housing and like she was an artist and it's like an inside shot of a, of a model she built. And then the movie's like framed with these wide, beautiful shots of like, you know, Oregon landscape and everything going on there. And then you have these dark, dreary, dreadful, dark, like shadows during that drive scene where his sister gets her head knocked off, you just, right? You just, the, to the tone of that whole scene, and then, you just know something horrible is about to happen. And then when the when the dad is lit on fire, right? And, like, he self-emulates and shit. Like, it's so big and bright and orange. And then the tension and, like, the close shots, just enough to freak you out, but not enough to, like, you're still, like, seeing it play out and you're feeling the tension of the character as like she's just crawling up on a fucking wall you know what i mean and then like the hard-hitting shots of her banging her head everything was framed so well and i like the fact right when she cuts her head off that you don't see her head hit the ground no nah. you just hear it oh yeah it just yeah and then it but then that close-up shot of him screaming yeah before he jumps out the window right like that's the shit that really like to me is like where horror is going because not just like character development not just pain and dread and emotional investment which is what ari esther is accustomed but he's to. bringing like the human experience to horror i feel like he's bringing the human experience wonderfully said but he's also bringing in ways of cinematography that like just it reminds me of them old like rosemary's baby type movies yeah like, the way they're shot like very close up point of views uh long angle that's a shots very domestic with... film too it is you know? it is yeah and it was a it was a it was a great movie um you know what I mean? Pulowski is is one of the Godfathers. Oh, yeah. You know what Pulaski's I mean? Pulowski's amazing. Yeah. So so despite you know, how fucked up he is, <laughs> right? So you know, but 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 that's what it was. And then of course he follows up with Midsummer, which I watched it again yesterday. I think it's better. I don't so think much it's better, better than, and because that's, and that's kind of a hot take too. You know, listen, <laughs> it's not a hot take. Midsummer is better, and no disrespect to the fans of Hereditary who feel that's. The superior movie because it's really hard. But there's a few things different for me on what makes... You and this is why it. you have to go watch his movies. Yeah. This is the point of this episode, right, for all these directors. I've never seen something in the light done that. No, horrific. no, no. Like, that is a horrific movie, and there's so much horrific and shit going never on. never night. But here's a hot take on how this movie is started and how it ends. First of all... One of the most emotionally impactful scenes and most horrific, terrifying moments of this entire movie take place well before the fucking pagan shit. You know, you when the first the first opening scene of the movie, that big like painting, mm-hmm. that tells you the entire movie mm-hmm. right there and then. Right there and then. For two, for a few seconds, you can see everything that happens in the movie if you're if you're good at it. Yeah, the bear, everything. You can see everything. Everything. And they were sprinkling those shots while they were at the Harga, right? But here's. Listen, here to me is what defined this movie and also played on like really human emotions that like are really dreadful. You have, okay, the opening shot, like one of the opening scenes, I should say. It wasn't the very opening scene, but one of the opening scenes, all right, where Danny's sister fucking kills her. Like like the murder suicide. Yeah, Yeah, the murder suicide that sets the tone, right? Like, first of all, she not only kills her parents, right? It just shows the struggle of mental illness and the importance of the awareness mm-hmm. of it, right? But you have, like, 
a long shot of the house and a hose connected to like Dude, the, the most that decomposed fuck right it's so fucked up but here's what really really is interesting and i was rereading some articles about this last night as i'm watching it because i started to pinpoint why this movie is so horrific but so so very fucking needed uh for 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 filming experience the last shot right danny completely fucking on board with 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 you know the fucking everything that the pagan you know community yeah. she has just saw her boyfriend she's, burn she's wearing the may she queen sacrifices dress. she's a may queen she's fucking fucked up on hallucinogenic drugs and she decides to sacrifice the one thing that has caused her pain throughout the entire ordeal is a shitty boyfriend well, who, and she couldn't and she wasn't in a place to do it until then right so she knew right that's there's that shot right of there's this shot of her grimacing and then slowly smiling it turns into a grin yeah but here's the part and here's a hot take on the parallels to how you could have seen this coming the entire time her sister writes that email saying like i can't cope anymore like her psychosis everything going on you know with the bipolar uh, that she had is so fucked up. She feels the only way, right, is to take out her parents who probably in one way, shape, or form, we don't know much about the parents. No, maybe the parents, maybe the parents were, were, were not helpful. Maybe they were enabling. Whatever it is, she had to take the parents out to. Yeah, there's some right? type of resentment that she holds against them. On top of the reason. fact that she was bipolar, you know what I mean, very untreated. Danny has mental illness. That is broken and broken and preyed upon and preyed upon this entire movie by her boyfriend and his ability to show no mo, no emotional support. The 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 pagans and you know, the guy who invited them all appeal, who's like preying on the idea of like, I get your vulnerability and just those little subtile fucking things he's doing. But she found herself in the same position as her sister, having to commit murder, right? She didn't kill herself. But she killed every part of her former yes, self. Yes, to move on. She killed herself to move on. Yes. She just happened to be able to physically... Well, she, and she, she literally killed him. And by killing him, killed every part of inside herself. And that's to, the parallel of how deep that shit went. And when I looked at that as I'm reading it, as his final shot's coming on... Because I've seen it, so I don't need to like pay attention like, right. like I've never seen it, right? Like I'm reading this article and I'm looking and I'm like comparing it right and I'm like holy shit like that that changes the the whole frame of the fucking movie it's fucking amazing that it starts off where she thinks she has everything she wants but it gets taken from her Mm -hmm. and then she's lost so the only thing she has is this piece of shit boyfriend and I get it she's just gonna go 100% into him that's all she has right Right, and by doing so, it just exacerbates her fucking depression and seeing, yeah, this is like, I've been kind of wasting my time with this, Mm -hmm. but I'm too scared to get out of it. And then by the end, when she actually, when everything goes to shit, all of her friends are dead, and she finally is the May Queen, and she's found love. Everything she wanted. The whole fucking movie, everything she wanted. So much. She found love by the end, and they they felt it with her. And it's a haunting. Yeah, they did. When they cried, they they felt it with her. They felt it, and, and it's such a hauntingly beautiful take. And only and look like we we would have to probably like come back to this, you know what I mean? 
um, in the future, right? But, like, Bo is afraid. What, like, that is a cinema, like, the cinematography is crazy. Is crazy. The fucking story is not so deep, but it had the opposite effect of Midsummer. He had to die to escape his mother's pain. Yes. Mother gets to live on. It's the exact opposite of what Midsummer was, where the character needs to live on and those around her need to die for her to flourish. He had to die. Or that's the ambiguous interpretation. Right. So, right. you know, and everything against him, and this is just the gaslighting, the mental abuse, everything, right, playing out in this long fantasy. But of course, someone who's mentally frail, mentally ill, not getting the proper help. I mean, he can't take care of himself. Like, he was never... He's fantasizing 600 different ways his life could have gone all within the same movie. But all at the same time, the power and reach, right? The rich aspect of his mother. She's like a puppet master yeah. playing everyone, including the therapist, has, around had him. Had complete control over every aspect of his life for his entire and that existence. Hit, and that hits home. You know what I mean? For a lot of people... Um, you know, there was parts of it. I was like, I could, I could see, you know, some relations and stuff. My, my relationship, you know, uh, I mean, I can relate to it. I, I mean, my mother has been controlling a shit in my life right. and, it, and it has had a negative effect on me, you but, know? but all at the same, I mean, I can't relate to that aspect, but I get it. I get it. Like, and, and look, the review said like, this is a movie about like fucking mommy issues and yeah. it was, but it was done so well that like, you're not angry, you're not offended, you're not pissed off. You're just like, let me take a look at some shit because like, I mean, everything from the fantasy to the comedy, you know oh, what I mean? Honestly, Bo is Afraid almost reminded me kind of, it's a little bit more coherent than a David Lynch film. But it's like that. But it's kind of like a David Lynch film where there's so much left up to interpretation the, and nothing is really explained. I think there was, yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels to Eraserhead for me. You know what I mean? Not the cinematography or the way the frames were, but definitely like that ambitious, you know what I mean, story of like complete fuck. You know what I mean? Because I think Bo is Afraid is a, is a complete what the fuck movie, but so well done that I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, what the fuck, what the fuck? Um, and typically, like, there's other, like, films will have what-the-fuck moments, right? But that's literally three hours yeah. of what-the-fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just, like, the end is, like, what-the-fuck. It's the entire movie. Oh, yeah. You know? So, 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 so far, definitely go check out Ari Esther. Definitely go check out David Lynch. Definitely go check out Wes Craven. Um, you know, uh... So I'll bring, I'll bring another one. I'll say... Kubrick, dude. Stanley Kubrick. What, probably one of the greatest directors ever. Yeah. Not many people were as meticulous as him. And he was apparently extremely hard to work with. You know, the only thing I can personally... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you give all the, all the hot take points, man. The only thing that I can comment on is... His masterpiece, The Shining. The Shining, dude. You know what I, I mean? mean? That's like, what everybody's going to remember pretty right. much for the most part. But, but I, I can't, I personally can't say I've seen a lot of his work outside of that. I have heard that he's hard to work with in the sense that he's very, like, particular. He has everything mapped out. Yeah. And the moment an actor brings some other, like, idea to him about it, he's like, get fucked. I know what I'm doing. Right. Go do what I told you to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I've 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 heard similar things about him in that way, but but I do because think of that. Yeah, he has made some really it's really. Been, he's made an amazing collection I, of films. I do think that that uh, you know, The Shining is is the one that I can comment. And, and everything in that movie is great. Cinematography, excellent. The score, fucking amazing. Acting, so on point. The. The, I think the, Jack Nicholson, the pacing of the film is slow, but I think, it's great. I think it was like to me, one flew over the cuckoo nest, but like more macabre. Yeah, like that's where yeah. Jack Nicholson yeah, yeah, won yeah. as an actor. Like he just like lost himself in that role to a point where like I wonder if Jack Nicholson is still fucked up from that because like he's still a little out there Bro. and he's great. It's Jack Nicholson. And but every like, time I see when he like but becomes that, here's that person Johnny, in the oh, end, bro. God. It, ne- it never gets old. It as many times old. as I've seen that movie, his performance never but gets same old. Same thing. Same thing, right? And and again, it's only a few rare people who could do this. That ending is very ambitious. It's a very David Lynch type of it ending. It is. It's, it's because you're like, like, what the fuck? Because you're like, was this a reincarnation? Right. Was this mapped out? Was this a different what? time It says parallel? like 69 on the picture at the end, right? And he's in the fucking picture. Right, and it's I think like, it, bro. I, yeah, it was like 29. I don't know. There so, was so many I forget different what things. a year it was, but it was like way forever ago. But this know? was happening and this was happening. And yeah, I mean, I personally like the way it was shot. I love the fucking elevator scene. I love the horror as far as the tension, the way the shots were. I don't think anything was too in your face. Outside of that elevator scene was fucking bonkers. The tone is um, just so I think the creepiest dark. part of the whole fucking movie was Red Rum. Like, oh, that's yeah. just fucking freaky. Um, the whole, every scene in yeah. Room 237 is up. amazing. It was. It was. Just, and, and like, and I think about, like, the book, right? Because I've read the book, The Shining. Yeah. And the book is amazing. It's yeah. probably one of my favorite books. But, and I think, and I love the end of the, sh- but it's way different than the movie. But I still... I think it's really absolutely adore the movie. Yeah, and it's very few movies that I'm like I read the book and yeah. I like fuck with the movie just as much if not more. Yeah, I think that it's so hard, especially because it comes from the great Stephen King. Right? Yeah, Is that <laughs> yeah. there are like The Shining. I'm on the fence of the in- people who enjoyed it. I know Stephen King himself wasn't a fan. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I I liked The Shining, and then of course with Stephen King, like I like the a- adaptions. Um, but there's not many Stephen King adaptions that I'm like, eh, this is good. You More know, fantastic. No. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like there, it's very far in between. You know what I mean. It's very far yeah. in between. I do even have to say that the it, uh, the newer ones were more closer to the adaption of the book, and oh, I yeah, actually enjoyed them a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. I like they fleshed. It I out. like Timmy Tim Curry better as it, no, but I, I like. The, that's okay. <laughs> but I like the entire storyline and the close adaption to the book. Um, and like uh, people – like Clockwork Orange is a masterpiece. That was Stanley. That Stanley. was, yeah. 2001. That, 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 2001. Okay, okay. Odyssey, so, Space so, Odyssey. Amazing. That, that, is, that is a fucking out there movie. The cinematography of that movie is – Clockwork Orange. Dude. Clockwork Orange. Actually, I was telling you about because um, you know it's fucking background right now. Fucking the great fucking Matthew Lowered here. Uh, he did a movie Animal Room, and I said that that was the modern day take on a Clockwork Orange. That like if you had seen that before this, him being a serial killer and going, you know, playing this great role of Ghostface wouldn't have been as surprising if you've seen how fucked up he was because he was mm-hmm. exactly like the main character but worse. 
and it was you. like it was a very 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 close spiritual like fucking adaption in my opinion to a clockwork orange and an appreciation for that so i did forget about that i forgot that was oh and eyes wide shut I watched that with Tom Cruise. Cruise yeah. That was a fucking weird origin weird, fest. But I fucking love movie. that movie. Dude. Of course, of course. Which brings the whole me- thing is just like hold on eerie. Mm. Like the whole movie is just eerie. It's not like real scary. It's just yeah. like odd. The well, whole way you know through. what? Speaking of speaking of free falling, and we can kind of talk about a lot of people over this. You know, what I mean, just 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 going through um, is who is it? Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, Cronenberg. Fucking, when I think of Eyes Wide Shut, right, I think of the more fucked up and more macabre Infinity Pool, which was a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. Dude, the fuck, listen. Actually, you're not wrong. I can see how you could tie no, those together. you can, because the way that orgy shit was going on. I could see that. You know what I mean? Like, these were willing, weird fucking participants in a fucking sex crazed orgy, well, it's which. Like, it's the same, like. Which. Debauchery, like. It is. And Eyes Wide Shut was a little bit more. I guess censored a little bit. No, it was. I mean, it, the, granted, the, the, the first cut that came out was NC-17, no, but it they, was. they cut it down. But yeah. I'm saying, like, Eyes Wide Shut was a little more censored in that in those scenes. Infinity Pool just put, like, yeah. Mia Goth just put herself out there. They like, here I am. She really and, grabbed it and took it. Yeah, she, she really grabbed it. Took it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She took that role. Um, but, no, it's crazy because, like... Those are scenes that most people have an uncomfortable time watching. Like, straight, so. like straight up, right? That I was like, I'm not even trying to watch it for the fact that Mia Goth is just fucking out there and she's great in all respect to her. But the way that lighting was in those shots, you're like, it's like a fucking trip. No, it's, it's like insane. A, it's like it's, a trip where you're like, huh? What? But it's like sometimes you know you see movies and you're like you didn't need that like friday the 13th they have all these fucking scenes and you're like dude you don't need this for the movie this is just you know for the tropes this was a scene in which it actually added element to the debauchery of like how insidiously fucked up these people were Mm -hmm. and i think that that like if you didn't have that scene Maybe the movie would have worked, but I don't think it would have worked the way it did. No. And if I remember correctly, it happens about two-thirds of the way through the movie. It does. It's almost like the halfway point. It's like right after the halfway point. Yep. And I know know you've seen, and I'm getting around to him, you've seen a a lot of his other work, which is very fucked up in the same fucking regard. Like body horror... Very, very out there. Possessor is you equally know I mean? amazing. But they're, but, they're, but they're movies that wrap up in a nice bow where you know what the point of the movie was. You don't have to think. You're just like, that was a fucked up time. Like It's just right in your face. And well, the other thing about the way Infinity Pool ends, and when I rewatched it, I kind of thought about this, is you know how like they keep killing the same guy over and over, right? But they make these clones. Well, the one that stays... I think the one that stays is the is the original one, oh, and the is. clone is the one that goes back to go with the wife. Yeah, and he stays. Oh, I know, like he it, stayed. It changed yeah. him, mm-hmm. but it, they leave it up to interpretation to where like it's not explained clearly which one is who, or if, even if there is a difference. Yeah, but you kind of have to put it together like a puzzle yourself. Yeah, and see that like this changed him so much that he like really kind of found out who he really was. Yeah. And it shook him to his core, and mm-hmm. he can't go back to his old life. No, he can't. He can't. I mean, he definitely can't, you know. Um, I wouldn't. 
You know what I mean? Power <laughs> in that situation. That's no. fucking nuts, dude. Like, that's... But that's the thing, right? Is like... You know, because um, we love horror, so we're all fucked up in the head here at the Philly Pat Project. Like, no you watch these fucking movies, and you're like, it's cool, because you're like, hmm, if I were in this movie or this was my life from this scenario, what would I do? Like, when I watch Scream, like, as fucked up as it is, I definitely want to be Ghostface. Like, I definitely want to be a Mickey out there just fucking I wanna having a great time. It. I yeah, want to I want to mastermind I don't want right? to be a victim, dude. You know, absolutely not. You know what I mean? But, I want to fuck, but I don't want to be a victim. Right, right. <laughs> 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 but that's the point, right? It's like, that's, the, that's what movies do, right? Like, they give you, they tap into some fun shit you could think about, and, like, you can live out some shit. It's, and I think it's only with a certain amount of directors. You know what I mean? Which... The next one, the next one is he's had some thrillers. Okay. He's had some thrillers. We know what his masterpieces are, right? Just for the cinematography, the story, and everything, right? Um, and I'm super excited about his new movie. Um, actually, two directors with two movies coming out that are going to be, I think, cine, cine, like fucking masterpieces. Don't shoot yourself in the um, Don't shoot. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, I don't want to do that. Um... <laughs> First being Christopher Nolan. Because he actually started way back with, with, with fucking Memento, bro. Yeah, Memento. Like, 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 he had Memento. That reminds me so much of Irreversible. Have you seen Irreversible? I have. It's a it's fucked a up like movie. That, it is. It's done, like, there's not many movies that they play it backwards. Uh-uh. And it makes sense. It you does, know I mean? yeah. Like, um, obviously, for cinematography, characters, bringing DC to life, bringing a dark, gritty, almost, like a little bit of horror because Heath Ledger, rest in peace, put a fucking iconic performance right. as the Joker that dipped more into psychological fucking horror than anything that has ever come before or after that in an ata- in the adaption of the Joker. And it's more like it's more like confined in the realm of reality. Yeah. Like his mental illness is very much so like believable. Mm-hmm. And in 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 Joker too with Joaquin, but Previously, in all the other like Batman films, yeah, I think the Joker was like, I mean, he was a cool character, but it wasn't like based in the realm of reality, right? And I feel like Heath Ledger's performance was the first time we saw it like realistic. Well, him and Christian Bale worked together too with, um, I think it was The Prestige, I think was yes, for Nolan, correct. and that was a fucking masterpiece of fucking. I just rewatched that, yeah, like a month ago, yeah, yeah fucking that, that's fucking awesome. But again, you know, I mean, we know the Dark Knight trilogy is like his fucking bread and butter. And I think the way he shot them, I, I love the cityscape, the cityscape shots and like how the city was done, um, how Gotham came to light. You know what I mean? I think there was a lot of uh, throughout the different ones, there was like Pittsburgh, there was shots in New York, there was Chicago's where the Dark Knight took a lot of place in. And like, I just love seeing all that stuff because I love cities being from one. Like, I love looking at the landscapes and like, I love the way it was done, but also with characters like... You know, I think Christian Bale was in the best Batman movies. He wasn't my personal favorite Batman. Um, but I really, really enjoyed, like, the way he was able to go to dark places to be Batman. He the way he depicted be. the character. And I think yeah. that influence carried over, and he's someone I'm going to be following. I know he's done some other stuff. Obviously, for me, it's going to be the new Batman with Matt Reeves, and I'm excited for the second one because these are like that. Dude, Riddler, and I like, fuck with Pattinson hard as shit, right, dude? dude like these He's are the really, man. really, really dark shit. And Pattinson came from the era of Robert Eggers. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? With, With the, the lighthouse. lighthouse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who also did The Witch. And The Northman. And The Northman, which are fucking... And we can go so, into State of Horror with Daggers, too. He yeah. was on my list, too. Yeah. Yeah, like, these are these are fucking cinematic fucking masterpieces, right? On all fronts. On all fronts. So, I think it's cool to, like, just tap into, you know what I mean? Because you have Oppenheimer... Which mm-hmm. is coming out, which I think is going to be fucking changing. And I love the game. Killian, man. Oh yeah, like Killian kills in every fucking single role he's in. Peaky Binders, Dude. blow was fucking his fucking gem. That was fucking it's great. Fucking Peaky Blinders, man. Yeah, yeah, man. You know it's, dude. It's fucking. It's going to be exciting. I mean, to see. You know, I mean, obviously, too, which I thought was like amazing was Interstellar, too. You know, and I mean? Inception, and Inception, like these. These are movies that take you to all and these... Tenet. And Tenet. Dude, all these movies <laughs> take you to different places. You know what I mean? But, like, visually... Yeah, it this is... This is the time. And I would say that's, like, a big thing with Nolan. It's a visual journey. Mm-hmm. Every movie he does is a very visual journey. Much that's, more so than any other director in the game right now. I absolutely. So. Absolutely. The only other person who, who I'm going to be watching in that regard mm-hmm. is Matt Reeves. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you um, that. With, with the Batman, the way that was done, I just rewatched he did, that uh, earlier. Matt Reeves did Dawn of Planet of the Apes too. He did do he that. He did Cloverfield yes, way back did. when. Yes, he did. So like he's had his name in the game for a little bit, but like this is where I think he brings that dark grit, that horror. Like that's the closest. He's really like showing what he's made of. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like he sharpened his fangs and now he's like doing what he always I'm wanted really, to really do. excited. I heard some rumors that Josh Hartnett might be Two Face and like bring wow. him back into the fucking game, that bro. Could be like, some shit. That could I haven't be seen Hartnett in some good shit in a while. It's been a while, right? So there, there is some, there is some very interesting points with that, and I think the other person who has absolutely changed the game of crime, but also has dipped in horror. And I think he's bordering between crime and horror with his next movie. Um, we'll see how it goes, though. We'll yeah, it's going it, to be... Did you watch the trailer? Oh, yeah. It, and it oh, seems yeah. like it could be possibly like some darker shit that oh, he's done. Well, like, okay. Harking so, back to Shutter Island type of stuff. It is. Uh, so the true story is, is it's... Uh, what's the name of his next movie? What is it going to be called? It's, it's like the, 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 the flower... Something with Flower Moon. I want to say it's like something... The, the, the flowers... Of um, something, killers, killers of the, of the flower, flower moon. moon. Yes. All right. So this is a true story based off the Ostage uh, tribe of Indians, and back then okay. you weren't allowed to like as any like that. The the Indians back then weren't allowed to finance their own money. They had like white guardian lawyers and shit. And Robert De Niro uh, plays the dude who mastermind with his nephews. They murdered. An entire family, like marrying into it, the wife lived after an attempted poisoning, but like they executed and murdered everyone down the line so that they can get the money from the oil fields that that were naturally inherited and were the property. Right, and so, no one's told this story before no, on film. No, so um, of course he's getting fucking Leo. two of his best guys, Robert <laughs> De Niro and fucking Leonardo DiCaprio. And Mars Scorsese has, I mean, you know, Shutter Island. We talked, you know, I mentioned like that was he, that, that and was in his my opinion, he's the most prolific director ever. He is. He is. You know, opinion. I mean, Goodfellas, fucking Departed is probably my favorite. Taxi crime. Driver. Taxi Driver was fucking not raging. Casino. Bull. Casino. Um, you know, and then he's still in the game with just the Irishman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the Wolf of Wall Street was fucking hilarious, but also a very brutal take on like what greed and money can do to a person. 
you know what I mean, with a shitload of drugs. You know what I mean? With uh, a shitload of Gorilla Biscuits. You know what I mean? Like, they ate a lot of the Gorilla Biscuits and, you know what I mean? That's that's what the Quaaludes, man. Like, they... The Biscuits, man. But, look, you know what I mean? He also, too, has a way of capturing visually things that most people can't. Like, I remember when I seen Shutter Island, I wasn't, like, Brooke able to pinpoint as early as she did mm-hmm. that it was Leonardo yeah, DiCaprio yeah. but th- it was a very very predictable plot it, it, it just it made but sense but it was done like, and entertaining it's kind of like yeah. the way Scream even watching the first one you're like that you know of course it's them but like it's certain movies do that to where like you're like I know where this is going. Even the blackening we watched I, last night. Yes. I knew where that was yeah, going the whole time, going. but I had an enjoyable fucking time getting there. Oh, this is what I'll say about Shutter Island. I knew that it was going to be ending up most likely him, but I didn't know how exactly we were going to get there. Yeah. You know, yeah, with the, I think with like, you know, I, like they maybe, come to this island, like, they come in on the boat. Like, I think about halfway through, there was enough to pinpoint like, all right, it's definitely him. It's going to be one of those. It's the main person trope that, Kind of was pretty popular yeah. back then. I realized that when he uh, he's going down in the cliffs and he goes and he meets the real Rachel Solando or whatever mm-hmm. in in that cave. Yeah, that's right then. I think around I the like, same time, yeah, give or take, is when I'm like I pinpointed it. It's kind of like, uh, but it was the tropes back then because Alexander Aja with high tension. You know, yeah. With high tension, like I think like right after she was driving like and was at the gas station i'm like it's her yeah and that movie identity that came out identity somewhere was in another the 2000s one. was like oh yep it's the main person it's the main like, person yeah um that was good though in that like it was multiple personalities killing he was killing off all the different personalities yes. to show how the dominant that's one, identity was that was that really was, cool though, that was because different. there's so many different yeah that yeah. was a different take on how to do a movie like that but you know um but just, you know what I mean? But even Martin Scorsese, you know what I mean? Dipped his fucking hands in horror and delivered a really good movie. Um, and I think that, you know, with the new one, you're going to get a horrific story that's brutal. And is her- like there's horror to it because like this really happened and that's fucked mm-hmm. up. You know what I mean? But also it's still driven by what made him who he was. Which is always characters. Which is characters and crime. And, you know... It, it it gives me vibes of Taxi Driver where there's a psychological horror to it, but also there's crime driven. Like you a personal I mean? character story in the way that Taxi Driver is centered and around. And what I'm really excited about is that Leonardo DiCaprio, who I think is probably one of the best actors of our time, you know what I mean? Um, personally, has been involved in so many movies that are in my top. Um, but... He actually was offered the role of the um, guy who was the Todd is going to be in it from Breaking Bad. Okay. And he's playing the FBI agent who kind of comes there. It was before it was called the FBI. I forget what they called it back then. But he's like someone who comes into town and starts to get the people to start talking because they don't want to go up against Robert De Niro. Like he had a lot of fear as a person. Uh, But... I'm excited because Leonardo DiCaprio was given that role and he shut it down immediately and said, no, I want to be the fucked up nephew who marries the girl and like is in on this fucking plot. So for Leonardo DiCaprio to say, I want to be this person. So, I want he, to be- so Scorsese originally cast him as someone 
the casting directors were like, we offered him that role first. And he's like, nah, I want to be this fucked up person. And so they, they made some changes. I'm literally like not doing this project no. unless you give me this role. Yeah, I want to be the fucked up guy. I want to be. But he the, has the, the pull for that. I mean, yeah, he does. Leo and I think it's point. just Leonardo expanding himself and wanting to be behind it because there is some stuff like, you know, that I think he wants to tell about like how being a nephew and corrupted, like what may have like really played in and kind of like. Just give, like, a, a tribute to both aspects. And he's Leo. really good for that. And he's, like, an activist, you know, outside of Hollywood and, like, really into... Respectable, yeah. You know, what's going on in the world. Yeah. And it almost reminds me, because this has to do with, like, uh, a Native American tribe, mm-hmm. it's almost, like, similar in the way of, like, what he did with The Revenant. Yeah, as like a, As, like, a statement, you know? It is. It like is. Like, his choice in projects. Which is really cool. I respect that a lot. I think, uh, real quick, um, to wrap up, someone that, uh, for this for this part, uh, that I wanted to say, got a few more minutes, um, is James Wan. Yeah. Uh, because there's two things that I love about we James can't, Wan. We can't really have horror with the way it is right now without James no, Wan. No, so... So, of course, he spawned the franchise of Saul. He is the fucking birth of this franchise, which had some goods and bads and all that stuff. But he specifically was the director. I know he was a part of the production, and he has been a part of the writing with Lee Wanao, uh on most of them, mm-hmm. uh, or has a little bit of say in it, for sure. But he originally did this, and what I love is two things. First of all, some of the acting definitely a little cheesier it's a little more low budget right but what made up for it is the way he took a small budget oh yeah and turned a cine like the twist the turns and the way it was shot it was so dark and gritty and that's what i think like i look at saul as is like i remember the first one no matter like again carrie ellis he's a good actor not his best role best performance but he he worked with his material. You know what I mean? Lee Lanau, that's like his first real thing. Yeah. And he actually did the short of Amanda's part to get people to give money to mm-hmm. this project. When he made like, the short, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Right out of film school. But what I really love is just the way he does things. And then two of his movies that I thought really showed the scope. I believe he did Dead Silence. And yep. that was cool. Like that was a different movie. But two of his movies outside of Saul that really, really like sold me on him as a director was Death Sentence with yep. Kevin Bacon. Yep, I love that. Because Death that Sentence. was like a hard, that was a hard Dude, that movie thriller. is so, so good. So good. And, and it's I underrated the and no one remembers that shit. No, but it was so one shot. Like that whole elevator, like um, parking garage scene yeah. was all yeah, one yeah, continuous yeah, yeah, yeah. shot. And it was so fucking well done. Um, I think the performances were a little bit better. You know what I mean? I think uh, Billy was fucking unhinged in every way possible. Yeah, I love seeing John Goodman in like fallen fucked up days yeah. where he's just like that fucked up guy. He's like the same the guy fucked up in dad. that movie that he is in uh, like Flight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just like that just side fucking, fucked up character. Yeah, just a, you know what I mean? But that, that really showed me that like, again, the way it's shot, it's dark, it's gritty, um, very low budget, but very well done. Um was really, really fucking good. And then he just did it. It was either last year or the year before. Malignant. Malignant. Was fucking nuts. It was insane. It was yeah. nuts, dude. Insane. Like, how do you fucking think of, like, a brain, 
like, first of all, brain tumors were started saw, like, what would you do if you found out if you had one and taken it from there? And then you have malignant, which is like a real thing, but a dark, more twisted way of like interpreting that. Like, which, the like I don't think twins. it can realistically happen. No, 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 no. There really is. They're re- not in the. So, I mean, like take over her oh, brain. I don't think, I don't and, think like, in that. Do like, no, 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 no. That's like, obviously that's, the fiction yeah. part. But the idea that like two twins that can and sometimes sure. like your dominant twin will eat the other personality yeah. and take. Yeah. yeah, that happens all the time. So, you know what I mean? Like that was just. But it was a movie that like was shot really well. There was a lot of darks. There was a lot of like. It reminded me of Seven. Like with some of those like underground scenes, like just very dark and gritty, and the and lighting, the and the rain, and, and the yeah. subway. Everything that kind of went into that, but also you know, um, again, just the way the story went, and then it went into like a fucking Jackie Chan Bruce it was Lee crazy. style yeah. fucking. At the end, yeah, it, like becomes like the raid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was fucking nuts. I would, I would say that, like, I would, his best film overall to me is probably The Conjuring. I actually enjoyed the first one. I actually enjoyed the first one. That's probably my favorite movie. That was probably one of the best. Next to the original Saw. Yeah, that was probably one of his best, like, for visual. Yeah. I really liked those three shots. And another thing is, like, I think James Wan has been as influential and as amazing as he's been because he takes Saul, which is extremely indie, crazy idea that, you know, Lionsgate jumped on, but Lionsgate was small at the time. So, like, they're not really Hollywood Hollywood. You know, so they took a chance on it. Yeah. And he did it with a million dollars. A million dollars. And it's like, okay, if if you can do that with a million dollars... Here's like 10 or 20. What can you do with more? And it's just grown and grown and grown. And he's just consistently knocked it out the park every time. Yeah. And at the box office. You know? Like, not just critically acclaimed, but the box office blows, too. It does. It does. You know? Well, man, there's so much to talk about, man. Um, We have... uh, It's actually cool. There's some, like, really cool ones that are going to jumpstart this next part. Um, We have a lot of exciting uh, directors to talk about in this next part. Particularly, I can't wait to talk about Ty West. Ty West is like probably the best filmmaker today, and there's a specific. Tar- I would put Tarantino. I would say Tarantino. Tarantino is the best of all time. No, but you would say like I'm talking about horror. Horror right wise, look, Quentin Tarantino is probably my favorite director of all time, uh, if not top two, top three. Like he's in there. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Tarantino is a fucking master, and he's definitely someone we'll be talking about. But I think Ty West right now in the state of horror for a specific reason is the best fucking director out there and it has a lot to do with that cinematography and i'll talk about that that's going to be something that i'm excited that's like kind of like my favorite part probably of all this is just to be able to talk about that plus of course like he has the great ability to keep bringing me a goth back and she is just a delight to watch uh, dude like she does have a he does have a way with her that's for sure (laughs) yeah yeah but um anyway uh, um with that being said, go check out Wes Craven. Go check out Stanley. Uh, go check out Christopher Nolan. Go check out Scorsese. Go check out David Lynch. David Lynch. Check out all those that have been talked about tonight. Um, James Wan, all of them. There's Aster. 
Asters, Eggers. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff in there, man. And if you're looking for really good, not just stories, but like really good cinematography, you know what I mean? The way colors are put on screen, um, character driven, you know, uh, movies, narratives, uh, twists and turns. You're going to get all that with them. And, um, you know, as film lovers, especially in horror, but again, as film lovers in general, you know, this is uh, how we would, you know. There's no one doing it better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody that we're mentioning, that those are the people that are doing the best they're, right they're, now. Right now, those are those are the tops of the game throughout fucking history, really. And uh, with that being said, you know, that is how we direct this direction of directors to follow. We will be back with part two. And until then, happy Father's Day to everyone. Have a good day. Have a good night. See you soon. Have a good night, guys. Philly Pat signing off. See you. Word.